developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is Rabbi Sarah Shulman. Rabbi Shulman is truly an amazing person as you'll quickly see her power, passion, and influencing abilities. Today we're going to talk about the role of vision in Jewish texts and spirituality. But first let me share a little information about Rabbi Shulman. Rabbi Shulman serves as a congregational rabbi at the Hebrew Educational Alliance in Denver. She is passionate about community building through educational and spiritual experiences. She was ordained as a conservative rabbi with dual master degrees in education and rabbinic studies from American Jewish University. Originally from Seattle, Rabbi Shulman attended Stanford University, where she received a B.A., in Human Biology and Creative Writing. Rabbi Shulman has launched several different Jewish organizations and educational programs in North America, including most recently founding Camp Ramah in Northern California. Throughout her career, she served several congregations, Jewish camps, and social justice organizations. She also has a very impressive athletic background, having completed uh, competed in Ironman and World Championships and ult- other ultra-endurance events as an accomplished swimmer, runner, and cyclist. She lives in Denver with her husband and her do- two beautiful young daughters. So it's truly an honor and welcome, Rabbi Shulman, to Vision Beyond Sight. Thank you so much, Dr. Lynn. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Well, thank you. You know, between listening to your sermons, your classes, your insights, and our personal conversations, I've just so personally been moved about your openness and vulnerability, as well as your comments about vision. You speak in such vision language. And at our last conversation, you just so quickly started talking about vision and light and references in Jewish uh literature and text. So that's what I'd love to talk about today. But let's just start with your personal journey on you becoming a rabbi, because you were quite on a different course before you made that choice. Mm. Yeah, so some, you know, many of my colleagues always knew they wanted to be a rabbi, but that was, you know, that maybe they had a parent that was a rabbi, or it was a vision that they had for themselves. For me, my life has been a little bit different. It's been vision and adjustment as things go along, not so different than many of our ancestors that we read about in our Torah and other Jewish texts. Um, As you might have guessed from my resume, I was going to be a doctor at some point, 
Um, and then actually, when I was in college, not only did I discover that I faint at the side of blood, so maybe pre-med wasn't <laughs> the best choice, <laughs> um, but I also fell in love with teaching, actually, and um, I was volunteering in the public schools um, in an English class with a teacher that I had befriended in Ecuador, and I really fell in love with that kind of interpersonal connection and the ability to help another find their voice uh, through writing, through education. And so I took a different path in life as to we often do. Um, and I, I went into education and from there um, later on into the Ravenet um, as my own faith practice solidified through different times of struggle in my own life. And was there, I know you shared some of your personal struggles on the high holidays with the congregation. Um, if you felt appropriate, could you share some, you know, one or two significant things in your life that really changed your thoughts about spirituality and, and connection, your connection with God? Yeah, you know, I grew up and I was I was lucky and blessed enough to, most things in life came fairly easy to me as a child in terms of academics and sports and different things. And, um, and so Jewish identity was always something I was really proud of. And I've been thinking about that recently, actually, because the, the synagogue that I grew up in and had a bat mitzvah was actually just desecrated uh, just a few weeks ago with some terrible graffiti, very anti-Semitic rhetoric uh, in red, like blood, um, uh, spray paint that was, you know, sprayed all over the synagogue, and it reminded me what a important place that was in my life for Jewish formation. Um, um, and then it was late. It actually was later on in my life that um, that I needed spirituality in a different way. Um, I was uh, I won the Hawaiian Ironman when I was 23, and uh, and was kind of at my peak in terms of my physical abilities and and that kind of thing. And then shortly after, I started getting a lot of stress fractures and was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And um, I just kept breaking bones. Um, and that was really hard as someone that is an athlete. Uh, many people are active, can relate to that feeling of um, just having something taken away from you. We all can, our physical health makes such a difference in terms of also our mental health. And so for me, um, to get through that time in my life and the depression and other things that went along with it, um, I really had to return to my faith as a way of anchoring myself and something that wasn't just the endorphins of, um, of exercise or um, just the blessings of life, but to be able to work through struggle and to find God and community in a time of challenge. Wow. And for our listeners, you want to remind them what it takes to be an iron woman, <laughs> you know, the requirements <laughs> to compete for that, that type of competition. Yeah. So an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride. And then, uh, and then you ends with the dessert of a marathon um, and, you know, racing that in Hawaii at 90 degree with 90% humidity or whatever it is, is, is certainly a test of uh, not only your physical abilities, but also, I mean, truthfully, I think it's as much a mental race as it is a physical race just to get yourself through that last 
uh, 10K. And um, the last time I raced it um, was probably the hardest because I was winning and yet I had a stress fracture. And so making the decision to actually not finish the race, but to take care of myself and to, um, to step out of the race was an incredibly difficult decision, but one that I think um, probably was an important one for my health for the long term. Well, I know the diagnosis of osteoporosis, and you were really young for that diagnosis. Yeah. That's that's a life issue that um, uh, you have to make those kinds of decisions. Having it myself, I understand that. But your comment about you know it being such a mental sport as well. I remember the one time that I walked a marathon. That was in 2009, and I remember seeing a little newspaper as we were ready to start this. It was the Rock and Roll Marathon in Seattle, where you're from, and we're ready to start, and the headlines are, the good news is 50% of the marathon is mental, and the bad news is the other 50% is mental, (laughs) and I thought, I get it. I think I have the first 50%, but what about the second 50%? That's what it takes to finish that. You know, and that was just the marathon part of it. So thank you for sharing that so openly. So let's yeah. let's get into the vision world a little bit. And Rabbi Shulman, mm-hmm. if you could start, you know, vision is a world. I, I live in the world of vision, being an optometrist. Um, vision in my world means seeing healthy eyes, but people describe vision differently. And because of that, we can't even look at literature and compare what is a vision problem and the frequency of vision problems in kids because people define vision so differently. And that's just more in the physical sense of seeing, which is, you know, the Latin, the Latin explanation of vision is to see, but it doesn't talk about seeing inside your mind, seeing outside, you know, that's the Latin version of explaining vision. Could you ex- define vision, especially as it relates to the Hebrew word of vision? And we'll take it from there. Hmm. Well, the Hebrew word for vis- vision is actually chazon, um, which is a kind of vision that is often associated with the prophets, um, Isaiah, um, um, actually the Shabbat that we read, Isaiah before the, the communal morning holiday of Shabbat Av is called Shabbat Chazon, a Shabbat of vision. Um, and the prophets actually give us a different kind of vision. It's an ability to see beyond and to be able, and a moral kind of thing, right? The, the tradition of the prophets is one that is often contrary to the status quo. And sometimes it's hard to stomach the vision that prophets have because they have a sense of being in tune, not only with God's vision for humanity, but also with the orphan and the widow and those that are struggling, a vision about how things could be, not just how they are. So that's the actual word vision, chazon. But we see the word for seeing, um, which comes from the Hebrew root, resh alakhe, ra'ah, over and over again in the Torah, both in the sense of seeing, but also in the sense of, of not seeing, right? Uh, for example, our patriarch Isaac, who is um, nearly blind when he has to give a blessing to one of his children, either Jacob or Esau. Um, and so that idea both, and reminds me a little bit of King Lear, um, that Shakespeare play, right? That, that tension 
between seeing and not seeing and times in which actually our blindness in a certain way or blind spots actually open us up when we're our eyes are opened in a certain way when we have hard time seeing actually allows us to see things with new perspective. And so we see that that theme of seeing, um, which really means finding perspective again and again in the Torah and uh, throughout Jewish liturgy. In fact, uh, every morning we say the blessings for the day. And one of the blessings we say as part of the opening blessings to kind of warm us up in our spiritual practice is Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Alam Hokeach Ibrim, which means thank you, God, our sovereign um, in time and space, who gives sight to the blind. And one can read that literally as uh, as God enabling folks to come overcome physical ailments and to see. But really, we read it more in a spiritual context is being able to open all our eyes, no matter what our vision is in terms of on the scale of 2020, um, but to be able to open us up to new perspectives and things in our life that maybe we are blind to, um, that sense of openness and vision or perspective. So, Rabbi Shulman, I'm so interested in your your thoughts about blind and vision beyond, because as you know, that's the nature of my work, expand your visions, my the name of my book. And on this podcast, I've actually interviewed two people, one who is totally blind and one who's uh, very visually impaired and considers herself fairly blind from birth. And both of those folks have such huge vision. One is an actress and the other actually runs the foundation for the blindness. And if you first of all listen to their language, well, I see, I create, let's imagine, and their language is all using visual kinds of terms. And their perspective is from seeing from an internal world of a creation, even though physically they couldn't even pass, you know, a simple eye test to see. And so I love your analogy that you talked about the blindness, but also you might be able to see and be blind to the world. And that's something, you know, you're seeing it certainly in in spirituality and, and, and Jewish religion. And I see it actually physically in the world where something could be right in front of you. You don't even see it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like where are your car keys right in front of you. You don't yeah. even see it. You know, not it's the awareness, the lack of awareness. And so the real my my mission from my perspective is helping people to open up the uh, open up their quote eyes to the world but it's really not their eyes it's their brain and their connection to the world and i'm hearing you quote that that kind of same you know belief system through you know jewish text and spirituality mhm absolutely and we see that actually anchored in the torah narrative that we're reading right now in the Jewish Torah cycle, where we complete the the actual scroll of the Torah each and every year. Right now, we're in the time we're reading about Jacob and now into his son, Joseph. And in last week's Torah portion, Vaishwah, we have a famous story, in part because it's the namesake story of Israel, where Jacob struggles 
with a being, an ish, which can be interpreted to mean a divine being, an angel of God. It can be interpreted to be struggling with parts of himself. It can be can be interpreted to be struggling with a projection of his brother Esau, where he's going to um, reconnect and reconcile with in this later in this Torah portion as well. Or it can be anything that each that that whatever it is that we struggle with, uh, our um, our deepest struggles manifested. And right after this struggle, it's not a coincidence that the Torah tells us, Vaikra Yaakov Shem Hamakom Peniel Kiraiti Elohim Panim El Panim Fetitza El Nashi. Jacob therefore named that place, that place where he had this struggle, and where through this struggle he gets a new name which is Yisrael, that's the new name, which means one who struggles with God. And he names that place Peniel for, because Pani is like um, faith and El is God, like Panim, cause be, precisely because he says, for I've seen God, Panim El Panim, face to face. I've seen God face to face and my life has been saved. What a powerful sort of radical story, right? That through one's struggles, through struggling and becoming in relationship, even with people or, or uh, projections that are uh, the most difficult in our lives, that that is precisely how we come to see God is through our struggles. Um, and I think that we can relate to that in a, in a number of different levels with our relationships and our abilities to to find perspective through struggle and through relationships, which may not always be the easiest ones on the surface. Well, I was going to ask you about, you know, the stories in the Bible and the visions and perspective and how one could relate to their own personal lives, which you're beginning to allude to and and through the struggles. And and so often when we're in the thick of the struggle, we don't have we don't really have visions. We're into the detail and the, the struggle. And and so how do you start how do you start getting um a vision beyond? See see a path, see a direction because uh, the struggle is the opportunity, but what opens up? Yeah, I think it's about having that pause. Jacob, when, if Jacob hadn't taken the time to name that place, and interesting, the word hamakom, which means place also is a name of God, um, he wouldn't have created that space to have that moment in which he recognized the vision and, and the presence of God in that moment. It's very similar to Abraham, who had to take a moment to stop and hear the voice of an angel in order to not sacrifice his son Isaac, to also ra'ah, to, to also look up and to see a ram that was in the bushes that he was actually the intended sacrifice uh, as you might read that story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, that that often it's about creating 
space in our life are being open to other voices, the voices of whoever are the angels in our lives that give us an opportunity to see things differently, to find an alternative, to find a way to better follow our moral compass, or to find a new path for our life. Um, But we are the ones that have to look up. We are the ones that have to pause. We are the ones that have to make space in order for that kind of vision and ability to see differently, to be able to be possible in our lives. I love that analogy, and it is about that pause. And too often in our busy, busy worlds, um, we don't allow ourselves to even have the time to do that. Uh, to take the break, to take the breath, to take whatever it is to to allow that to happen. And I, I also heard in your explanation, you, you used other sensory systems beyond vision, almost a conclude. It was a like comprehensive awareness, uh, mm-hmm. hearing somebody may say something to you if you're listening. Um, yeah. And, and I heard you kind of look at, you know, we talk about vision being dominant sense in the world. In, in the way we take information in. But I think vision has many, many, you know, uh, arms, really. And and all the other senses can contribute to that that vision and awareness. Um, well, yeah. this, is, this is really fascinating, Rabbi Shulman. We're going to be taking a break here in just a minute. And when we come back, um, I really want to hear more about, you know, how your vision has played such a role in what you now are creating in your life and where you're going from beyond. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. child see really see more than 2020 does your child struggle in school have trouble with tracking when reading or resist writing dr lynn hellerstein's award-winning book see it say it do it provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school sports and play Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight.
Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. We're back and we're having the delightful conversation with Rabbi Sarah Shulman. And she's been talking about the role of vision in Jewish texts and spirituality. And uh, Rabbi Shulman's told us a couple great stories on Abraham and Isaac about, you know, the, their vision beyond and the need for taking a pause. Uh, I call it sometimes a breath. Uh, I'll tell you one one quick story on vision and just taking a pause. I was giving a, a lecture to 900 people, and it was 15-minute keynote, which is probably the hardest type of lecture to to create because what are you going to say in 15 minutes that's impactful? And I remember getting to a point, it was towards the end, and I had a slide of a beautiful woman walking into the ocean, and she's looking out at the at the clouds, and the, you can see the breezes blowing her dress, and it's just beautiful, and, and the, the slide said, what's next? And at that moment, my mind totally went blank from speaking to the group. I had like this little conversation of cartoon characters characters talk about, well, you know, you could do this, you could do this. And and it was like the Daffy Duck little cartoon uh, characters talking to me. And I'm looking around and then all of a sudden this huge um, mural presents in front of me in my imagination with paint and brushes. And all I have to do is pick up the brush and create my next picture. And at the moment I'm ready to pick up the brush, I happen to look down and see the clock only had like 10 seconds left and I was supposed to conclude the lecture. And so I quickly finished up the lecture and um, got off stage. And for a month I was waiting to watch the video to see how long I was in pause in front of 900 people really seeing beyond what's next for me. And when I got a copy of the video, there wasn't even a breath at that moment. I didn't have a break. I didn't have a stop. And for me, I had this huge momentous transformation in front of 900 people that happened. And you couldn't even see it in my body response, which, you know, I still have to think about the miracle of it just takes a pause as mm -hmm. to what we can create. And so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I'm certainly a big believer, not only the pause, but that we have the power of creating creating our vision. And, you know, always the, the question is, where do the visions come from? And that's where the spirituality piece that you help teach and fulfill me, yeah. you know, comes in. Yeah, I think, thank you for sharing that story, Dr. Lynn. It reminds me that... Um, that vision can come in all sorts of unexpected ways and moments. And we can also, through ritual and symbols, we can also create space in our lives where we encourage 
that kind of moment of vision and ritual. We're coming up here in a few days, for example, to the holiday of Hanukkah, which in many ways is all about vision and about seeing, because the central commandment of Hanukkah is to the central miracle is to light the Hanukkah or menorah, those words are synonymous, um, for a candelabra that has nine candle holders, one being the shamash, the helper candle, and the others being one for each of the eight nights of Hanukkah that we, we progressively light up to all of them. And what the rabbis of the Shulchan Aruch, the, the, um, the, the tradition of Jewish law, tell us is that once we light the candles and we sing the blessings and place the menorah in the window so that other people can see it, unlike the Shabbat candles, we're actually supposed to put the menorah in the window so that it can be seen, so that we can, quote unquote, publicize the miracle of this light in a time of darkness and remembering other times of light in darkness. We're not supposed to do uh, any work. <laughs> Actually, first it was a, a commandment, a mitzvah for, for, um, or tradition for, for women, and then later extended to men as well, that when the Hanukkah candles, like when the Shabbat candles are lit, that that's actually a time where you're not supposed to cook or do other work. So actually, the seeing of the light, actually that ritual not only reminds us of the miracle and is a celebratory light at a time, of course, of the year when there's not a lot of light because it's winter, but it also creates a certain kind of space where it gives one permission just to see and be and play and, and not to work. And so it kind of begs that question of what are the rituals or symbols in our lives that we have in order to help catalyze our thing or creating space for us to to be and to be with other people and to, to interact with the world in, in a different way than maybe our routines might dictate for us. I am so glad you brought that up, Rabbi, because in, in like two weeks, it'll be exactly a year that I was on a, um, a Jewish Colorado sponsored trip for grandparents with grandkids. And I took my then 12-year-old granddaughter to Israel over the winter break, exactly a year ago, and it was Hanukkah time. And walking, we were in Jerusalem on Hanukkah, and as you know, people have their menorahs really on the outside where there's yeah. oil oil menorahs, and you walk down the, the beautiful cobblestone streets, and there's light after light after light, and the flames and the fire, and, and that was such a moving time for me just to see the light burning and the memories. And um, yeah, rituals do put us in a whole nother place. It's not just about having to do the ritual, but truly where it takes you and how it connects you to others um, present and, and before. Yeah, and how beautiful, right? That to do a mitzvah, to do uh, a deed, that is not just for oneself to see and to share the light, because that would be internal, right, in our own homes, but to offer something that allows another to see. So like you said in Jerusalem, to put your Hanukkah so far outside your own 
so far from your own table and your own kitchen that it brings light into someone else's life. There's a story in the Talmud in the oral tradition about a man who is blind and uh, he hands out torches to other people and they say, well, why are you doing that? And he said, well, so that you can see. And if I fall into this hole, you can help me get out. Um, I actually feel like a lot of the work I do as a rabbi is helping others find their ability to see or find a spiritual connection in their lives, to be able to facilitate ritual or prayer or life cycle moments or conversations or education that allow people to find a perspective in their lives and connection in their lives that help them go a little bit deeper than our everyday routines. Um, and I think we all do that in our lives for people. We create gifts of light for other people, um, but not only gifts of light, but also giving others the matches so that they can sort of ignite something really special in their lives. And I feel really feel humbled and privileged to to do this work. And in, in some ways, Dr. Lynn, our, our work is similar in that respect, right? It's helping others find a path to seeing in the way that they need. It is really similar. I was going to see if you were looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, your perspective and again, your languaging and bringing such analogy to light and, and bringing light in and moving from darkness is just beautiful. And if you'll, I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your own, um, you know, your own vision and what role that had for you, because you've started things like Jewish camps and you've helped organizations write vision statements and, um, you know, continue on as far as how your work is impacting people. Mm. I really believe in the collaborative process and partnership. You know, when I started um, Ramon Northern California Jewish Summer Camp, which was the second Jewish summer camp um, that I had an opportunity to be a part of the founding of, one of the things that I learned and appreciated so much about that process is that rarely as a leader are you creating something on your own, but that actually it's a process of collaboration and partnership and giving up the reins of one person's vision in order to create something bigger and more impactful through a shared vision. So I re recall writing the vision statements and mission statements literally with a team of board members at the camp, but also campers and staff. And then I will never forget what it's like in the first summer of uh, summer camp to be able to literally create the traditions and rituals, write the song for the camp and sing it and how each person as part of a community really has partial authorship of that camp's experience. And actually that was my favorite part about being a camp director at a new camp was seeing the pride uh, on the faces of campers who had been founding campers years later as they taught um, new campers when they were counselors or when they were older campers, passing on those traditions, sort of Lador Vador from generation to generation um, mm -hmm. to their, you know, you know, and it was like silly things like the dance that they did Friday night when we did the blessing after 
our Shabbat meal. Um, they did a dance, for example, that was sort of like the Macarena. And they had so much, it was kind of silly, but they had so much pride in doing it. And, um, and that sort of shared authorship for me is so vital when it comes to, um, when it comes to vision and creation. And that's really my educational approach. Um, it was when I was a classroom teacher and now as a rabbi is that I think the strongest, most impactful and transformative experiences are actually the ones that we co-author together. So whenever I'm planning a retreat or a program, I actually try to always have some sort of planning team or conversation that's happening in preparation of that. And that takes more time, but it also makes the experience more meaningful and impactful, especially for those that are involved in the planning of it. And I think really for, for anyone involved. Well, I love that, the power of community. And, and that's at the essence of the community, a shared vision and something everybody had takes ownership in. And, and yeah. honestly, that was a tough lesson for me, you know, only my own practice. And I was a, mm. a great leader by myself until I wasn't yeah. <laughs> and found right. the, and just found the need for community and and realizing that it goes even beyond what I thought I was doing myself. And that was a big lesson that I've learned over, you know, it really started 20 years ago when I had health problems and it knocked me out of work for a while and I couldn't do a lot of things similar to what you talked about, your physical issues, you know, for, for your sports. And that was the struggle and, and the suffering that I had. And I needed to find a way to really bring in community, be part of community and let community, um, not only help, but really uh, acknowledge community for what they've helped me in my life that I can help serve others. And so thank you for, for bringing that in. That's such an important piece. I did want to talk to you in the last couple of minutes, Rabbi, about, you know, how do you find your vision in really difficult times, mm-hmm. especially now in in what's going on in the world, the chaos, the 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 war, the anti-Semitism, the negativity, the splits. You know, what can you share with our listeners to help them on a path of, you know, finding God in in their lives or spirituality, whatever it may be, to help them in this time? Yeah. Well. In the book of Genesis, the way that human beings are created is the Tselem Elohim. It's in the image of God, a term which I think has been, unfortunately, a little bit politicized, actually, over the last uh, several weeks since the war on October 7th broke out and the terrible terrorist attack that occurred on that day in Israel. But that fundamental idea that there is a spark of God in all of us keeps me going and helping to find and see holiness in every person and give them a benefit of the doubt. Um, One of the things that has really kept me going over these last two months of since October 7th has been the process of reaching out uh, to others in the Jewish community and beyond. I'm currently doing a lot of work interface work with the Muslim community, and I find that to be very healing and nourishing, even while it can be challenging. 
um, understandably at this time, but to, to find partners and allies, not only those that are most similar to us, but also those that are different from us, that actually has been a tremendous source of light for me in this dark time and has helped me um, to somehow faith, have faith that there are good people all around us. And even in a time where it is scary and there has been such an increase in anti-Semitism as well as Islamophobia, um, it's important to know that we are not alone. And for me, getting the text messages and letters and emails, not just from folks in the Jewish community, but even more so from Christian friends and pastors and Muslim friends and leaders um, has really helped me to cope and to be able to have the strength to serve a community in struggle, both here and, and um, so many of our congregants have family in Israel and also our family that is in Israel. Well, I truly thank you for, for your words. You, you have totally touched my heart. And, um, you know, so much of your language, Lador Vador, you know, that was what our Israel trip was about. And thinking I was over there one year ago with an experience with my granddaughter and the life and seeing it and, and what's happened in this last year has been so difficult for me and, and, and so many millions of other people as well. Um, so I thank you for your inspiration and your words of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And truly, is it you know, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, you know, I was just thinking about, yeah, thank you, Dr. Lynn. It's been a pleasure having this conversation. And, you know, I was just thinking about something Dostoevsky said, which is the darker the night, the brighter the stars. And um, I think even in dark times, there is an ability to see things more acutely. As painful as that might be, I think we all have light in our lives. We all have an ability to see bright points. Uh, and sometimes we need the darkness to accentuate the light, but I think we can't do that alone. And so I appreciate this opportunity to be in conversation with you. And I appreciate the community that you've built through this podcast and people who feel connected to this idea of seeing, um, even in times that can be quite dark, finding those stars of light. Beautiful. And one last question for you, Rabbi. If I prescribed a magic pair of glasses for you to see mm. the world through the lens of clarity, courage, and confidence, what would your world look like? Mm. Through my glasses, I would see love. I would be able to see that sort of holy spark because that's one of the ways I view, view God is actually through love. So if I had those glasses as you described them, I think I would want to use them with a 2.0 function of being able to see channels of love in the world between people, between people and animals, um, even self-love and, um, and the love we have for something bigger than ourselves, which some of us call God. Um, that would be such a gift to be able to see that movement of love in the world. And I think that would give me 
such a sense of hope and appreciation and validation to be able to have those glasses. So let me know when those come out on the market and I'll be the first to buy them. That will be my gift to you, believe me. Well, Rabbi Shulman, this has truly been an honor, and I've enjoyed our conversation so much. And and to all of those, all of you who are listening, thank you for joining us today. And remember, your vision doesn't define you. You define your vision. And expand your vision. See with clarity, courage, and confidence. Thanks to everybody, and we'll see you again real soon. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.